32. The same night, he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip, hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. This is the word of the Lord. So, my question to you all this morning is, if an animal has ever changed your mind or brought you to a place of forgiveness? An animal. So, I was meeting with Lilia this week. She's going to hide now. I was talking with her. And she was telling me about how uh, hard it is to be a vegan at Tribeca. And especially as a commuter, right? So um, it's difficult to be a vegan when you're a commuter because you have to bring all your food or you have to buy it there or whatever. And so I'm always curious about this. So I asked her, I was like, well, what, what is the thing that uh, changed your mind and made you become a vegan? Uh, because it, she said it was relatively new for her. And uh, so she started to tell me this story. And I have, to, I have to say, like, I loved her answer. It was awesome. She said, well, you know, I was at this internship in Oklahoma City this summer. And she said, she started out by saying, it wasn't required to become a vegan to be a part of this internship. <laughs> Which sort of sets the stage already. Uh, but they did watch a lot of documentaries there. That sort of laid the foundation for being a vegan. Uh, and then she talked about the pastor, who was sort of the leader of that internship, and how she really respected her and how she loved to see how her life sort of like in, was so intentional and lived out these values that she believed in. But then, the thing, the thing that she said changed her mind and made her decide to become a vegan is when she picked up one of the chickens <laughs> of this pastor. And she's, and that particular chicken's name happened to be Nina Guncher. And she picked up the chicken. <laughs> And she, she looked the chicken in the eyes, and she said to herself, I can't eat Nina Gunter. 
moment of transformation. When the chicken nuggets you eat become the face of Nina Gunter. <laughs> today, today our passage is about the story of Jacob and Esau. Now this, I have to admit, is one of my, probably one of my favorite, like, narratives in all of scripture. It goes on for chapters and chapters and chapters, and there's just so much connection and symbolism. I just, I just love it. But the thing is, Jacob and Esau are twins, right? But they are like the most opposite twins that you could ever imagine. In fact, they're so opposite, they were fighting and wrestling in their mother's womb before they gave birth. And their mother, Rebecca, had to go to God in prayer saying, um, if it is to be this way, then wrestling within me, why do I live? And then the Lord replies, two nations are in your womb and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. So Genesis 25 goes on to tell us that when her time came to give birth, uh, the first one that was born came out and he was like covered in red hair like a mantle, which is interesting. So they named him Esau. And we're not quite sure what Esau means, but I think it must be connected to the red hair. Um, and then the second one was born, Jacob. He was born holding the heel of his brother Esau, whom he had been wrestling with in the womb. And so they named him Jacob. And Jacob means he takes by the heel. So just very literal naming process here. Or uh, it also means he supplants. So this, this thing that God had said to Rebecca about the, the older serving the younger, you already start to see it in Jacob's name. Supplants means supersedes or replaces. And boy, does Jacob live up to his name. He takes advantage of his brother at his most vulnerable place, where he's so famished he's about to die, and he convinces his brother to sell his birthright to him his right of being the firstborn son. And then, with the help of his mother, Rebecca, he tricks his father on his deathbed to give him the blessing of the firstborn son. Haven't you ever heard of the forefathers of the people of Israel? Abraham, Isaac, and Esau? No. Jacob lives up to his name. It's always Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He truly does take his brother's place. But in doing so, he makes his brother furious. His brother is so mad after this second thing happens that he literally has to run away with nothing to preserve his life because his brother is going to murder him. And it's not a joke like some siblings say. His brother is literally going to murder him. And so the Cliff Notes version of the rest of this story that does go on for chapters and chapters is that when Jacob flees, he flees with hardly anything. He has to lay his head on a, on, a, on a rock for a pillow. And when he leaves, he doesn't return for 20 years. It's like, 
I know this has never happened to any of you. It's like that thing that happens and it's so bad that you run away and, and it's like it never happened, right? Stay, staying away for 20 years, Jacob left it all behind until, God says, in Genesis 31.3, return to the land of your ancestors and to your kindred and I will be with you. Now, I'm going I'm to warn you there's a joke coming, so I'm leading up to it because I, I feel like you're not going to catch it if I, if I don't tell you. <laughs> Jacob does what any of us would do when we are facing a hard situation that we can't get out of. Jacob is on his way back to see his brother, right? But before he can talk to him face to face, he's pretty nervous. So here's a joke. What happens, and you're free to answer, when you've had a conflict with someone, but you're scared to face them? Send somebody else. No, no. That's not the answer to my joke. <laughs> An email. So Jacob sends goats and sheep and cows and donkeys as a gift to Esau in advance to prepare him. Do you like that joke? some knee problems. 
And so as a valet, you have to run on concrete to like go get people's cars and bring them back so you can get tips, et cetera. And so for a couple of months, I asked my employers if I could um, work in the office to kind of give my knees a break. And they were like, yeah, that's fine. So I started working in the office, but I started working in the office in the other entrance to Opryland Hotel. It's kind of the, uh, it was kind of like the preferred entrance for the veteran valets because they made more tips. Only the people who came there a lot, um, like frequently came through there. Um, it wasn't kind of like the main entrance. And when I worked, so all the people who worked there were kind of like all this little social club that existed. They were all friends. Um, and there was this one guy in particular who worked there. Um, and he, uh, I know you've had experiences like this. Like, there's nothing that he did that was especially wrong. Um, but like, he just like rubbed me the wrong way. And I just really did not like him. He would do things that were super annoying to me. And like, okay, so he'd like come to the window and he'd be like, Hey, can you look up what the what the minute of sunrise is for tomorrow? And I was like, sure, let me go look up. And, but I didn't act like that, right? I was just like, okay, like I didn't treat him any different than anyone else, but like internally, I was like, I do not like this guy. It didn't help that um, he he like lived a life a lifestyle that I completely disagreed with, also. So like he would go out after work every night and go clubbing till like three o'clock in the morning. And, um, and this was kind of like what that friend group did that worked there. And so like I was there and I was like in this, but he was kind of in my mind like the ring, the ring leader for this group and this, this lifestyle. And, and then he would come ask me to do things for him. Um, and so, you know, internally I just really, I just really didn't like him. And then, and then one day, <laughs> I, um, I went to bed, and I went to sleep, and I don't know what I dreamed about, but I know that he was in the dream, and it's hard, it's hard even to imagine, it's hard even to, like, tell what this was like, but when I woke up the next day, and I don't remember the dream, but I do remember that my heart towards him was completely and entirely changed. It was like in this dream, God had revealed to me like just a little bit of the love that God had for this young man and, and made me see it, helped me to see it, helped me to realize it. And um, now I'm going to tell you that if, if you, you know, if I tell you that I'm praying for you, I am praying for you. Um, but, but, I felt so compelled and like it was so important for me to pray for this this guy now that I had seen some kind of like more of the truth and I prayed for this guy like incessantly he was on my mind all the time and I was I was I he would still come up to my window and ask me uh, what time sunrise was the next day but it was like, outside, I did the same thing as I always did, but inside, I was completely different. It was like, that thing that had been so annoying became something that I was endearing about him now. And 
And this, hap this happened, and, and, and it went on for days where I just felt this incessant need to pray for him, and, and he was on my mind all the time. And then about a week later, he disappeared. Um, he didn't show up to work. None of his friends knew where he was. Uh, we would try to call him to say, like, you're not showing up for work. And he wouldn't answer his phone. I didn't have a car at the time. I was taking the bus. And so I convinced one of his supposed friends, who wasn't at all worried about him, um, to drive by his house to see if he was there, which he wasn't. And so he had, like, disappeared off the face of the earth. And, and nobody who knew him knew where he was. He wasn't answering his phone or anything. And I was, I was like, so concerned, right? I was like, what is going on here? And, um, and this went on for days. Uh, and then about a week later, he, he, he shows up at work. And when I, I, I'm like, where have you been? Like, have, you know, we've been looking for you. We've been trying to call you. And he tells me, <laughs> like, very simply, he says, um, actually, about a week ago, I became a Christian. And I felt that I needed to leave everything in order to follow this, this lifestyle that I felt like I was being called to. And so I, he quit his job. He moved out of his house and moved back in with his parents. He changed his phone. He left everything. And that's why we couldn't get a hold of him. Um, but the thing was, for me, his, the moment of transformation was not the moment, was not when he was, when he was saved, right? The moment of transformation was when, by God's grace, my disdain for him changed into love and care and concern. Inexplicably, really. You see, from the Cliff Notes version of this story today about Jacob and Esau, you might get this impression that it's, it's Esau that initiates this moment of transformation for Jacob. It's it's Esau, and that 20 years ago, he wanted to kill his brother. And 20 years later, he is offering him grace and forgiveness. And that is the thing that changes Jacob's vision and is, it, and is, is what makes it possible for Jacob to see Esau now and to see his face and to say, it's like seeing the face of God. But the truth is, is that that's not it at all. The thing that changed Jacob's vision had nothing at all to do with Esau. Jacob's transformation actually happened the night before Esau arrived. The night that Jacob sent the animals, he spent the night in the camp, but he couldn't sleep. His sleep was inhibited. And so he, he, he got all of his family and everyone up and sent them across this ford of Jabbok. And, and he sent them across, but Jacob didn't cross. And I think that we sometimes can be like Jacob in that, 
It's not until the, the lives we have built over the past 20 years are on the verge of collapse that we finally are able to face our past. It's, it's when we are feeling the confrontation that what we thought was over is actually not. And the thing we had run from is actually still very much at large. It is when we realize that that 20-year-old conflict, that this reality has followed us the whole time. It's our shadow has followed us. It's our dual identity. It's the way that we were and the way that we are coming into conflict. It's in coming against Esau with Esau's 400 men that you realize that you are in fact two humans. The one that is capable of growth and love and patience and healing and following the call of God like Jacob did. And the one that remembers that deep inside of you, you are still lying to yourself about who you are. That you are still a cheater and a liar and a critic and you are envious of others. From the outside, you would never have been able to tell my true feelings toward this young man. But they were true. How in the world can you reconcile a divided self? Well, here's what Jacob did. He sent everyone across the fort of Jabuk, a stream with an uncanny resemblance to his own name. And Jacob enters his own country, the country of his divided self. He faces his shadow self and his fear in a wrestling match with God. He brings to God all that he has, both of himself, and he wrestles until morning. See, we're all full of strong things, sad things, confusion, hope, dreams, fears, desires, bravery, passions, conflicts, confrontation. And in this place, in this place, this is the place we are called, called to return to, to the home of ourselves, where everything belongs and our dual identities can be reconciled. Our shadow selves are the conflicts and narratives that keep following us, even though we thought we had left them behind embodied and encased in a system or a person that we thought that we had the agency to leave. Our shadow selves follow us wherever we go, especially when we are trying to follow God's call and return home to ourselves. Our shadow selves stem from our avoidance of the pain of reconciling the present circumstance with who we are and who God is. Our shadow selves color the world, a deep color of purple, because it's the color of our own bruises. See, the struggle is real, but it's not real in the way that we think it's real. 
It's real because the struggle comes when we follow the call of God back to our homelands and to the landscapes of our identity, worth, and value. The struggle is real when we own up to our own name and the ways that we have lived it out to the harm of our brothers and sisters. The struggle is real when we take it all in, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and say, welcome, welcome, welcome. We breathe it in and then consequently breathe it out, letting it in and letting it out, like the breath that sustains our lives. The struggle is real when we enter with one perspective, one name, but we leave with two. And somehow, this transformation is amazingly and radically good, even a blessing. The struggle is real when who God is calling us to be comes in the face of who we think we are or what or that handhold we gripped in childhood to keep us safe. And the struggle is real when we acknowledge as a friend our shadow self, a companion and wrestling partner for life. But the struggle is not real when we stop our ears to our fears, when we eat them or scroll through them or control them, or distract them, or put distance between us and them. The struggle is not real when we ignore our fears and stay in our comfort zone, living out the good life in a foreign land that becomes our own body, moving over and over again and never returning home. We will avoid ourselves and our fears and hurt at all costs. The struggle is not real when we externalize the struggle we need to have with God and ourselves and paint the whole world with our particular color of purple and our own unique shade of our own bruises. The struggle is not real when we throw our energy into good causes and bad habits, political action, helping others, addictive substances and behaviors, lying, solving problems, putting out fires, blaming or being a bully, or just being busy. The struggle is not real no matter how it looks from the outside when we are unwilling to take everything we have and make the long journey home to face our fears and our conflicts and our actions and let them out to wrestle with God and humans. But would we follow God's call to bring our whole self and hold nothing back? That is when the struggle is really real. And the struggle being really real is really, 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 really important. Because that's the moment of transformation. When the divided self becomes one, when you let the fear in, when you hold it in tension, when you wrestle for your life, 
That was the moment of transformation for Jacob. It was not when he saw his brother, but it was in the dark night of his soul and body the night before when he, overcome by fear and completely and vulnerably alone enough to face his inner conflict of following God's call or staying safe, wrestled. His sleep inhibited, he struggled with all of his might, and God, who did not appear in full glory, but appeared in the form of a man that could be honestly wrestled with, found himself at Jacob's mercy. God says, let me go, for the day is breaking. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now God isn't saying, let me go for God's own sake, but for Jacob's, for we find out later that Anyone who sees God face to face cannot live. Jacob's insistence on being blessed is not only the fulfillment of his name, but it is also at the risk of his very life. The struggle with God revealed to Jacob his own character, his fears about facing his brother and his own death, he knows through this struggle that he is one who is willing to face death at the risk of receiving the blessing of God. For the first time, this part of Jacob's inner self is no longer disguised by the guilt and the shame of his past deceptions, the actions he took on his brother out of fear and envy and greed. Rather, that part of himself for the first time is affirmed and transformed. His desire is for blessing, and yet he was already blessed. Blessed to be a blessing, part of God's people. And like waking from a dream and feeling totally different, and like looking into the eyes of a chicken and realizing you couldn't do it, Jacob's mind is transformed. I was um, I was watching this random thing on Netflix the other day, and it was about our minds, and uh, it was fascinating. It it was saying it was talking about our memory and our um, it, it talked specifically about eyewitness accounts of crimes and things, and it was saying how they did these MRI mapping and they ask people to remember certain things and then they ask them to think about the future and what they found was that the same exact part of our brains that remember are the same parts of our brains that imagine the future and that they're actually so much in relationship that our envisionment of the future can affect what we remember about the past that it's in relationship of these two things that that actually creates our identity, our sense of who we are, is this interplay between our past and our future. This, this dark night that Jacob had transformed everything that was to follow in the light. Jacob, see Jacob, he didn't ultimately see God's face. You'll note that the text actually makes it clear that the sun is rising as Jacob is walking away. But 
When Jacob does finally see Esau the next day, he proclaims, truly to see your face is like seeing the face of God. And when I saw the young man's face in my dream, it was so different. The struggle had been real, and this was the moment of transformation. And all we have left to do is to enter the struggle, the cocoon, the dark night, the broken body and shed blood, the crisis, the illness, the experience, the grief, the anger, the fear, to give it time, to give it space, to let it be even to let it be you. To wrestle with God. To wrestle for real. To stop running from who you are and to own up that this is who you are too. Too. I do not know what your next moment of transformation will be, just as I do not know what mine will be. But I do know that if we don't open up, if we keep running from out of fear and hiding, we will never know who we truly are. Before I close, I want to I fast forward to our New Testament reading because I think that I think that if you hear something like this, it starts to feel very heavy, right? It starts to feel like, oh, like maybe you start to feel some shame and some be mad at yourself or negative for the ways that you've had fears in that they reveal some sort of mistrust in God. But I want to remind you of our gospel reading because, um, because this is a reading where Jesus finds himself alone. It's very similar to our Jacob passage. His disciples are sleeping on the eve of Jesus facing his own death sentence. And in Gethsemane, we see Jesus himself wrestling with God, distressed, afraid, desiring something different. See, Wrestling with God is not ultimately a sin. And here's the proof. Jesus does it. Telling God the truth, being who you really are, and telling God what you really want is not a sin. In fact, we see in the story of Jacob and Jesus that it actually might be necessary to face the call of God on our lives. Coming to God with all of our fears and our doubts. Those are the moments of transformation. Seeing the face of God in the dark night of our soul is what allows Jacob to see it in the face of his enemy. It's what allows that enemy to be transformed into his brother. It's what gives him the deep knowing of who he is 
that will sustain him through the struggle. Jacob is no longer a self-divided. He has reconciled with himself. And that is the reconciliation that flows out of him and creates the reconciliation with his brother. When the struggle with God is real, it becomes the moment of transformation. As we close, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a few minutes and lead us through a guided prayer with some silence. So um, if you want to just get in a comfortable position, um, I'm going to give you some prompts and then need one or two minutes for silence and reflection. And I'll do this two or three times and then, and then I'll close. So let us pray together. God, as we come to you this morning, we admit that we don't always bring our whole selves. That we maybe don't even know what we are holding back. That maybe we have long forgotten the things that have happened in the past. The brothers out there who are still mad at us. The ones we are still unreconciled with. Maybe we are aware of them. Maybe they color everything that we do. Maybe they're more a part of us than we know. Dear God, I pray in this moment that you would allow them to come to our hearts and our minds. God, as we make space for these these parts of ourselves, pray that you would help us experience the emotion of these things. And that you would help us to hold them in tension with who you are, who we know you to be in this moment, the promises that you have made to us as your people. As we hold within us the tension of the past and the present, pray that you would allow us, give us the grace to invite you into that dialogue that we would hold you as a point in that struggle. God, we remember the name that you gave Moses, Yahweh, which means I will be whoever I will be. We remember this because it helps us know that there is a way to be reconciled with who we are, past and present. And we remember the way of Jesus. It was called the way, the truth, and the life. And we invite that healing presence to flow through us, to transform us. Help us to enter the struggle and let the struggle be real.